You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Bless you, O God, God of all glory, God, the maker of heavens and earth, the God who does not transform bad people into good people, the God who takes dead people and makes them alive people. That's who you are, and that's what you do, and that's who we seek now. Oh, Lord, you are building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and we pray, use us, use us as much in your sovereignty as you desire. May we be found faithful and so willing and wanting, even now, Lord, as we approach your word, hearts ready, lives eager to respond to the theology of the blood of Christ by living this out now with our lives. Every man, woman, and child, oh, be so attentive, I pray, God. Change us, transform us, use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 19, exciting day always in the word of God. We have spent three weeks in Hebrews 9 and the first half of chapter 10. We've been doing this. We've been building a beautiful theology that is leading, I pray, to beautiful transformation. We've been understanding and unpacking the theology of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray you have noticed this, and maybe it's happened and you haven't noticed, but I'm going to help you see it right now. When you unpack and understand a beautiful theology in Jesus Christ, what happens if it's properly applied is your mind gets renewed. And as your mind is renewed to the truth of the Lord, His blood, the theology of His life, His sacrifice, His death, His resurrection, as your mind is renewed in these things, your heart is stirred with affection. When the mind is truly renewed, the heart is turned over and cultivated and stoked in the fires of the love and the passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see the connection there. A renewed mind is a fired up heart. That's why we preach the Word of God. So we're going for each week, specifically within this series, as it pertains to the blood of Jesus Christ. We sang a beautiful hymn last weekend, and I want to bring up the words to this hymn again to show you a renewed mind turning to affections in Christ as it pertains to the blood of Jesus Christ. William Cowper wrote this beautiful hymn, There is a Fountain. Look at these words here, and it blows me away. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I mean, who writes this stuff? This is, that's so sweet. Last week we learned as Simeon holding baby Jesus and this baby formed in the darkness of the womb of Mary, filled with blood, the blood of the Lamb, the blood that will be drawn from Emmanuel, God with us, veins, a fountain would result, and sinners plunge beneath the flood. It's amazing. Jesus spilling a fountain of blood, and any sinner who recognizes they need to be saved from their sins, they plunge beneath that flood, the flood of the blood, and they lose all their guilty stains. So beautiful, the blood of Jesus Christ. Second verse, the dying thief rejoiced to see, the thief on the cross. I mean, think about that, Jesus in the center, and two thieves robbers on either side of him, and one of them, one of them, I mean, this is an amazing moment, the dying thief There, condemned to death because he deserved it, rejoiced to see he's dying and he turns to his right or whatever it was and he turns and and he realizes, wait, the Lamb of God is dying beside me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, for that thief, talk about being the right place at the right time. 
that crazy? It's crazy. The one guy couldn't see it, but he did, and he rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. Awesome. And God's sovereignty, there he was, with eyes of faith to see, you're, you're my Savior. Remember me. And here have I, though vile is he. We're no different than the thief on the cross. We're just as bad in our sin. We don't prop ourselves up in self-righteousness to think somehow that we're better. Cowper gets it. And here have I, though as vile as he, washed all my sins away because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the next verse. It says this, Dear, dear dying lamb, my precious blood shall never lose its power. Till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. And, and the, the death of death and the death of Christ. And the, and the death of Christ is still actively in his power today. Saving people from their sins across this world. Our sins by faith I saw the stream. Thy flowing wounds supply. Beautiful. The abundance of salvation found only in the blood of Jesus Christ. And anyone, anyone who's saved by grace through faith in this blood. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. If you're here right now and you're saved in Jesus Christ, this is your theme. Redeeming love shall be your theme and shall be till you and I die. Praise the Lord. This is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's theology leading to such beautiful affection. Loved ones, the theology of the blood must lead to life. And then here today, the theology of the blood of Christ must be lived out. Our sermon title today, Oh the Blood, we got to live it out. Oh, the blood, live it out. It can't just stay in the head. It has to transfer through our lives. And this, again, is what we see. I'm going to start here with point one right now. It will be brief. And the essence of the message is found in point two. Point number one is this, loved ones. You've got to hear this. We gain entrance through the blood. You've got to hear this, loved ones. We gain entrance through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 19, chapter 10, verse 19. And let's start here. Therefore, brothers... Therefore, brothers and, of course, sisters. Now, this is such an important transition. Whenever studying the Word of God, look for these statements or these phrases of transition. Some people have cleverly come up with the question, when you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it therefore? And that's a good question to ask. I want us to see, and therefore, we see the shift of the argument, the shift from doctrine to application, from doctrine now to application, so many New Testament epistles follow this formula. What formula? The foundation of truth followed through with transformation. We see it here, you can say it this way. Doctrine must come before duty. Belief must come before behavior. Revelation must come before responsibility. And here's the way I want to say it today mostly. Declaration must come before obligation. The declaration in the gospel must come before the obligation to the gospel. And that's exactly what's happening here within our text, especially as we transition from Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 and verse 19 and where it's going. The theology of the blood of Christ sets up the response to the blood of Christ. So notice what the author does here. He's setting up the declaration again. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since... Here's the declaration. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the place that was formerly forbidden under the old covenant, except for one man once a year through an imperfect and temporary atonement, that holy place, holy places, has now been busted wide open by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, by the new and living way. 
the way under the old covenant that was uh, under law and death has now been opened up into a new and a way that is living, meaning giving life. The death of Christ is the death of death. And that's why today, again, as recently as this weekend, people are being saved in Jesus Christ, and of course today, across this world, because the way that has been opened up, it is new and it is living. It is alive. Notice he says here, through the curtain that is through his flesh. Opening up through the curtain. If you're like me, you get enthralled with the theology that is found as the curtain was torn four inches thick, 60 feet high from top to bottom. You're enthralled with the idea and understanding. In week number one, we heard this. The priests that were in the temple when Christ was dying, and they would have been there as the curtain was torn, and they knew what that meant on some level. That curtain should still be hanging. But it has been torn, and now the Holy of Holies is now open, and by the blood of Jesus Christ, the declaration is being made. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we can now enter with confidence as we are washed by his blood to enter into the Holy of Holies, so to speak, the very presence of God, where his glory is found. Awesome. Through his flesh. Notice in this text right here, the declaration of the blood of Christ. The declaration of the flesh or the body of Christ. We have Lord's Supper today, praise the Lord, right here within our text. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ is our intercessor. Jesus Christ is our priest. Why is that important? It guarantees our acceptance into glory. It guarantees our welcome because his righteousness on our behalf, his intercession on our behalf, his work on our behalf allows us to know, loved ones, you got to hear this, you got to hear this. We gain entrance through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And this takes us now to point number two, which is going from you got to hear this to now you got to do this. You got to do this, loved ones. And I want you to see here now in verses 19 to 21, the declaration is made. But now in the verses to follow, the obligation is now given. We move from declaration in the gospel to now obligation to the gospel. Such important theology and application right here. Notice in verses 22, 23, and 24, notice here there are three let us statements. Three let us statements. And all of these are tied to since. The two senses found in verse 19 and verse 21. So notice here, okay, this is very, very important. The declaration, therefore, since we have confidence to enter, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, therefore, since, since, since built on the blood of Christ, since we have the declaration of what Christ has done for us, now we have let us, let us, let us. The let us only follows from the declaration of the sins Jesus Christ has washed us by his blood. My point is this. The commands of obligation to do or holiness or obedience in scripture are always founded upon the declaration of the gospel. Let me put it another way. The whole point of the commands to do in scripture are built upon exactly what's been done for us in the gospel. Legalism is built on the do without ever explaining the reason or the purpose as to why we do what we do. But notice in our beautiful text, 
we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You see that there? So if we were built in legalism, we'd say you have to do this, do that, do that. We'll, we'll tell you why. Just because God wants you to be good. So we'll pat you on the back. So you're in favor with him. But here it's so clear. We enter by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by good works, notice. We don't enter by our effort, notice. We don't enter by attending church, notice. We don't enter by our righteousness, notice. We don't enter by being a good person, notice. The only way we gain access into the holy places of God is by the blood of Jesus Christ. So stay with me here. This is so, so important. The reason we desire to do is because our eyes are set upon that which has been done. You see, the obligation, the obligation comes from the declaration. The declaration is God's love for us. The obligation now in the gospel is our response to God in love from our lives because of what he's done for us in the gospel. The obligation must come after the declaration. And this is found all throughout Scripture. Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ. Declaration, you've been raised with Christ. Seek then the things that are above. The reason we seek the things that are above with our hearts and minds is because we've been raised with Christ. Because of the glory within us. It's always this pattern in Scripture. You have to see it. So we don't shy away from the commands to do as long as they are rooted in what's been done. And that's what the author has done and is doing in our text right now. Since we have a great priest, since we enter by the blood of Jesus Christ, here come three lettuces. Verse 22, here's the first one, and this is point number 2a. Loved ones, this is what we gotta do. We gotta draw near by faith. We gotta draw near by faith. Verse 22, let us, here we go, since, since, let us then, let us then draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now the most important action of verse 22 is found in the verb, draw near. This is the astounding grace through the blood of Jesus. We as blood-bought believers in Christ, notice here, we have the invitation and the ability to draw near to God. So just think about that. The house of God, the door is open. The welcome mat is out. The light is on. And this house, this house of God, it is awesome. The invitation, let us then draw near with a true heart. And the house of God is unbelievable peace and joy and love. And in God's house, it's perfect peace and perfect joy and perfect love, inexhaustible in all three. No wonder James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But I have to admit here, this is where my heart starts to hurt a little bit. My heart starts to hurt when I think of all the blood of Jesus Christ that has been poured out for us and his sacrifice opening up the very presence of God, the suffering he went through, the call for us to draw near, the fact that the house of God is open and all we have to do is respond to the invitation to draw near. My heart starts to hurt when I consider how prone to wander we really are. My heart starts to hurt when I think about how quickly we draw near to things like sporting events or shopping malls. How quickly we draw near to couches hour after hour after hour. We draw near to fridges. We draw near to computers and tablets and phones more than we'd ever like to admit. And yet we're not willing to draw near to God. 
You know without a shadow of a doubt the single greatest difference between a life thriving in Jesus Christ and a life barely getting by in Jesus Christ is whether or not we will pick up the invitation to draw near to him. Without a shadow of a doubt, the single greatest difference of a Christian life thriving in him or struggling in Christ is will we pick up the invitation to draw near in Christ. Why? Why? Because God is power. Because Christ is joy. Because he is faith. He is truth. Christ is strength. He is perspective. He is life. If we don't draw near to him, we lose out on all these things. We lose out on the ability to live this life the way God has intended because we're not seeking his strength but seeking someone else's or somewhere else strength in that way. Here's what we have to do this Christmas season. This Christmas season is an opportunity to draw near. I want you to think about this and I hope this, this sits on your mind in these next several weeks and really for the rest of your life. When we wake up in the morning, if we get the blood, if we get that we're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, as we wake up in the morning, we have this on our heart. We hear the invitation to draw near. We know we're sinners deserving of death, but Christ has saved us all his righteousness, all his doing. And we wake up and we see, we picture Jesus Christ waiting for us to draw near down in the family room, let's say. And we draw near to him, and we're so excited about that because he is life and he is strength. So it was just yesterday morning where I got up early. Here's a little tip from me. If you go to bed early, you usually wake up early. Imagine that. And I woke up early and I was sitting there. Well, I'm up. I might as well get up. But I had this, I had this passage on my heart all week and drawn near with a true heart, full assurance of faith. And I got up and I said, well, let's, let's go seek the Lord. And it was, it was pretty early. And I went down there and got a little cup of orange juice, drank that. I got a hot, hot cup of coffee. Got the hot cup of coffee. And I, I sat down and, and, and last year we got this remote for the Christmas tree. What a glorious invention. Click that thing on, and the Christmas tree lights went on, and I was warming in the glow of the wonderful white lights of our, well, in my heart I was warming in the glow. But anyways, I was sitting there by the Christmas tree, and I was there with a cup of coffee, my Bible, and my journal, and 50 minutes turned into 30 minutes, and turned into 45 minutes, and turned into 60 minutes, and my kids were still sleeping. Woo! All right, and there I was, and the minutes kept rolling by, and I was drawing near to my Lord. And what happens as you draw near to God? He will draw near to you, and all of a sudden, His voice and His strength, His encouragement, His love, His presence, His perspective, His life starts to flow down into my mind and my heart and through my soul, and the perspective that is there, and the journal that starts being written up in. Because that's what happens. Jesus Christ is waiting for you in living room, kitchen, and bedroom, and closet, bathroom, whatever your thing is. I don't know, but wherever you are, Jesus Christ says He's waiting waiting for you every single day. What pains my heart is we're washed in the blood and there's Jesus waiting, arms open, the invitation's out, and we keep passing him by day after day after day. It hurts my heart because then we don't get it. Now, if some of you are feeling guilt right now, that's the wrong feeling. Conviction's a great thing. Satan wants to say, oh yeah, you can never do that. You're not like a pastor up there. You stink. That's a lie from hell in Jesus' name. I just say, be gone. I don't care what happened yesterday or last week in your life or last month or the whole past of your life. I don't care how a mess that is. Today's a new day. And today's the invitation where the Lord himself again is calling you and asking you to draw near. Why? Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much and here you are again. Here you are again sitting under the word of God and the invitation to draw near. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to be so close to him. Why? Because you, by grace through faith, if you've placed your life in the hands of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you are a child of God. You have been washed by the blood. And the invitation now, Jesus says, I want you to be with me. Jesus, every moment, waiting, arms open, sitting, my child, won't you come? My child, won't you come? But notice what needs to happen in verse 22. Notice, let us draw near with a true heart. 
You can't fake this. This isn't a game. This isn't hypocritical. This isn't pharisaical. A sincere heart, a broken heart. You're not checking off a box. You're moving towards him because you genuinely love him and you know what he's done for you. Notice this. Draw near true heart, full assurance of faith. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us an assurance of faith. Why? Because his blood is our guarantee. So we know the holy places is open. We know our sins are remembered no more. We know we become children of God, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so therefore, we draw near not, not just with faith, we draw near not just with an assurance of faith, notice the text, we draw near with a full assurance of faith. You see, put that up on your wall. Put that in the face of the enemy's lies. Put that up somewhere you can see it. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, today is the day that I get to draw near in full assurance of faith. And then notice what it says in the end of verse 22. It says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You see, this is the gospel. This is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're washed by the blood Our conscience is clean from evil. When you're driving over the border, let's say from the U.S. into Canada, and you have stuff to declare, and you're not fully honest about what you're declaring, inside you're like, oh no, he's going to catch me. And you had this nervous look on your face, and just like, shame on you, by the way, all right? But if you're doing that, you have a conscience, and it just feels awful. If you have any sense of the Spirit of God with you, if you don't have a conscience and you're doing this stuff, man, I'm really scared for you, all right? All right? But you sit in there, but when you cross over the border and you actually declare everything, or there's nothing to declare because you have nothing, and you're just like, go ahead, search, do whatever you want. My conscience is clean. Before the Lord, only because of Jesus Christ, man, you're crossing over the spiritual border from this life into the next, and you're like, my conscience is clean. Why? Because Christ is awesome. Because he died for me, because all my sins, every single sin, has been paid for because and by the blood of Jesus Christ. What a gift that is. Loved ones, draw near. You can't lose. You can't lose. We can't lose, draw near. And then verse 22 says, bodies washed with pure water. Most likely referring here to the symbolism of baptism. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. So the child of God washed in the blood Draw near, is drawing near, and then with the symbolism of the washing of baptism then. See, the person being baptized is the symbol of, in the past at some point, they were washed by the blood. And they symbolize that now, the washing of pure water as they come up from the, the grave, so to speak, and are raised to new life with Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful. We draw near with the Lord's Supper. We draw near with baptism. The two ordinances that Christ gave, the Lord's Supper, in baptism, today we draw near through the Lord's Supper. In baptism, a form, the symbol of that, we draw near saying, Jesus Christ has washed me clean. And I want my family to know that. I want people to know I love him. So loved ones, do you get the blood? If you get the blood, you do. And the first do is you draw near because of the blood. The second do is this. We've got to hold fast with hope. We've got to hold fast with hope. Notice, draw near with faith, now hope. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. What a beautiful passage. Again, notice, if we get the blood, draw near with faith, then hold fast with hope. The confession of our hope, the teachings of the gospel, the confession of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. You might have to turn one page or not turn any page at all. Notice 
the inseparable connection between faith and hope. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we see here, when I get the blood, I draw near with faith and I hold fast to hope. Why? Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So because of what Jesus did, I hold to that because it's all I got. It's all I need. So we don't have as believers a, oh, I hope it works out in Christ. I'm crossing my fingers. No, 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 no. We have I know it's true and I can't wait type of hope. Bring on glory. I'm ready. We don't have a hope that we're holding with two fingers lightly and dangling around. We have a hope in Christ that we're embracing and hugging and holding fast to because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Notice in verse 23, we hold fast to this hope without wavering. We're not leaning or wobbly, rather firm and fixed and certain. Why is this so important? We hold fast to life and that's why the trials of life come. Because the trials of life test us to see what foundation we're really living upon. We can talk a big game. Anyone can do that. But trials of life test our game and test us to see where is our hope really built in. Because when we hold fast to hope, we're holding on to that which cannot be moved. We know it's the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that carries us along. And why is all this true? Faith and hope, and we hold fast to hope. How do we know we can hold fast to this? The end of verse 23, can you see it? Because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Let's do an exercise right now, okay? When faith looks at that statement, he who promised is faithful, Faith believes that statement. He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. When hope looks at that statement, he who promised is faithful, hope says, I'm, I'm holding on to that because he who says and promises he's faithful cannot be anything other than faithful. Therefore, that truth is what I put my faith in, and that's what results in right feelings within my life. When faith and hope Tackle the phrase, he who promised is faithful. Right, biblical, Christ-exalting, spirit-led feelings quickly ripen within your life and from your heart. This is biblical counseling 101. I want to make sure we get this because what I'm about to present to you is a principle for you for the rest of your life. Like the rest of your life. On the screen here, right here, notice this. It's in the terms of fact, faith, and feeling. Consider this. We build our lives upon that which we believe to be true, the authority of the Word of God. That's our fact. We place our faith in what we know to be true. The Word of God and its proper doctrine, understanding, this is our authority. This is our sufficiency. This is what guides us in all matters in terms of salvation and sanctification and righteousness in Jesus Christ. We don't have this. We're done. So I place my faith in the fact of the truth of the word of God. When my faith is in God's word, fact is the engine, faith is the train car, and feelings rightly follow the truth or the facts by faith I'm placing my trust in. Here's the problem. When we start living by feelings, feelings are a good caboose. It's a terrible engine. Okay? When we start being led by feelings, 
We're being led by that which we deem to be true as opposed to the authority of God's word. When we start feeling our way around this life with TV shows and Oprah or whoever else it is, we're done. We're done because we're being misled by that which we can't guarantee is right at all. Just because we feel like it's a bad day doesn't mean it is a bad day. And just because we feel like it's a good day doesn't mean it's, it's a good day. We know what we know, what God has said. And so we place our faith in the facts or the truth of God's word. And right feelings are a result of our faith in the facts of the word of God. So many believers wander around the circles of delusion because they're living by a feeling. You've got to root yourself in what is true. Biblical counseling 101 for the rest of your life. Now let's try it right now. Let's try it with this phrase. He who promised is faithful. Let's just try it. That statement is true. I believe it's true. It's in God's word. It's a fact. God is faithful. Now listen, listen. This is where faith comes in. He's faithful regardless of my circumstances. He's faithful regardless if I approve of this or not. God's not faithful when I say he is. God is faithful because he is faithful. He's faithful regardless of my approval. He's faithful regardless of my understanding of my life or his faithfulness. Again, God is not subject to my conditions upon his faithfulness. The truth says he who promised is faithful. He's made promises. He's going to keep them. He is faithful. He is good to his word. Regardless of my expectations for my life, God is faithful. The faithfulness of God does not go up or down based on if my life is turning out the way I thought it should. That has nothing to do with it. God is faithful because God is faithful. He says he is faithful. He promised to be faithful. He is faithful. My faith is placed in the fact that God is faithful even when I can't see it. What happens is in your hardest times when your faith is in the fact, you start to produce right feelings based upon what you believe to be true. Again, this is what happens. These are the questions faith has to answer. Do I, do I believe God is faithful? Do I believe God's word? Do I believe that by faith? Do I believe that the blood of Christ will never let me down? Do I believe that I'll be disappointed when I see Christ face to face? Do I believe, if I'm accusing God of being unfaithful to me in my life, this one life, do I believe I will stand face to face in judgment in Christ and accuse him of being unfaithful to me in my life? Do I believe I will do that? Do I believe, do I believe I will complain to Jesus? That he was unjust to me in my life when he forgave me for all my sins. But because my life didn't turn out the way I wanted to, do I believe I will stand before him and complain of his unjust treatment of me in my life? Do I believe I will do that? Well, anyone with any theological grounding whatsoever would say I'd never, ever do that. Now, here's the key then. If you're never going to do that in eternity, then why would you do that now? Then why would you do that now? Because if it's true then, it's true now. Why? Because I believe by faith, he who promised is faithful. You see what happens here? That's just a fact. That's just true. When I place my faith in the fact that he who promised is faithful, this produces right feeling. And the amazing part, even right now, many of us are producing right feelings based on faith being put in truth. Loved ones, for the rest of your life, you need this principle out in front of you. Every day of my life, I think about this stuff because I get voices like you do and I get temptations like you do and I get false teaching like you do every day. What's the truth? What's the truth? What's the truth? What's the truth? Place my faith in what is true and start to live. It's hard at times, but start to live with right feelings according to the glory of the Lord. If I get the blood, I hold fast by faith. 
If I get the blood, I draw near. Thirdly, thirdly this, if I get the blood, I stir up love. I stir up love. Look at now verse 24. And let us, here's the third let us, notice, and let us consider. Let us consider now how to stir up one another to love and good works. The final let us is consider. This word is so important. We're learning today how we live out the blood of Jesus Christ. If I'm washed by the blood, here's how I live out the blood. And one of the great ways that I know if I'm living out the blood is if I'm considering others in love. Consider in this passage here is how we think. And we're learning how we think is how we live. Consider our world. Our world is constantly about self. When we consider self, we think about self. Why? We think about self because we love self. Now think about this Christmas season. This Christmas season, you will be tested on what you truly love and what you truly consider. When you pull into, when you pull into a parking lot, last minute shopping, there's one space there, and you're pulling and you think that you are there and a car rushes in and pulls in front of you, you'll be tested on who you really love in that moment and who you consider. And when you're all filled with rage and you can't believe the injustice of that moment, that will tell you how much you love self, right? When you're in the grocery store and your kids love eggnog and you go and there's one left and you go to reach for it and some lady comes and bumps you out of the way and takes your eggnog from you and you're in that moment and you're just like filled with a furious and just, just so anger because she has stolen you. At that moment, you find out who you really love. You find out who you consider. When you're opening up Christmas presents on Christmas Day or whenever, and you get a gift on the outside, you're like, thanks. But inside, you're like, I don't want this gift. And you're grumpy. Why? Why? Because you love self. When you get hours delivered to you from the workplace that aren't convenient to your schedule, and you get really grumpy, and you're upset because it is inconvenienced you, the reason you and I are inconvenienced and upset about that is because ultimately, we love self. One of the ways we know we get the blood of Jesus Christ is when we consider others in love. It was like a week and a half ago, I was at a four-way stop, and I thought it was my turn to go, but apparently it wasn't. (laughs) I started to go, and there's a car turning out in front of me, and they laid on their horn for, I kid you not, 10 seconds straight. And I'm just like, really, buddy? Like, really? Like, in that moment, as the horn was being laid upon my heart and mind and started to offend me seriously, as they kept going and going and going, it's amazing what happens inside of you. Like, it's amazing the feelings of offense and injustice. And I'll show you a horn, you know, like that kind of stuff. And you're there, and the thoughts through your mind. And I literally was going by, and I had to counsel myself, like, audibly to say, Robbie, relax, you know, because you want money. Come here, man, I'll show you something. And I'll, I'll let you know what this is all about. But you're driving away, and you're like, you're like, you're like, dude, 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 dude. If you get walked over, if you are misunderstood, if you feel that you have suffered injustice, get over it, Robbie. Get over it. For the glory of God, this isn't about you. But the reason, the reason there's anger of temptation, there's a reason that I feel unjust because I love sell. How dare you do that to me? How dare you? I'm just trying to go. How dare you lay your horn on me? Why? Because I'm a sinner. I am selfish. At the end of the day, I'm most tempted to love me. That's not a guy who's washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. When you get the blood, you consider, you consider how to stir others up in love. And that's what the text is saying here. And this is what's very exciting. Stir up sounds like, or means what it sounds like. It means to stimulate, to provoke in a good way. So loved ones, When we get where washed in the blood, we seek to stir up love, 
Stir up love in our spouses. Stir up love in our children. Stir up love in our homes. Stir up love in our families. Stir up love in our churches. Stir up love in small groups. Stir up love with strangers. Stir up love. When we get the blood of Christ has washed us, we stir up love. People bump into us and we spill out love because that's what's within us. And notice the connection here. Draw near by the blood. Draw near. Hold fast. Stir up. Draw near, you spend time with Christ, you hold fast to hope, and you're walking out of your house, and you're ready to stir up some love for the Lord, to stir up some action for Jesus Christ and good works and love. I love that, but notice the author doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, okay, stir up love. He gives us three specific ways we are to stir up love if we get the blood of Jesus Christ. Three S's, three ups here as well. Here's the first one. Three ways we stir up love according to the church, according to this text. Number one, show up the church. You gotta show up. You gotta show up. You gotta show up to church. Notice the text says in verse 25, to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So notice here, one of the great reasons we come to church, now this is amazing, One of the great and foremost reasons we come to church, according to this text, is in the consideration of others. Because we are supposed to stir up love in others. So, if I pull up the church and I'm just like, hey, where's my parking spot? How come I don't get my seat that I want to sit in? I hope they sing songs. I'm like, that pastor better preach a good sermon. I'll be so disappointed. And if those people don't don't, don't come out to me and greet me the way I want to, and if I don't get to I mean, what is that? What is that? That is not someone who understands the blood of Jesus Christ. If I'm coming in here and this is just a consumerism act of just selfishness, what is that? It's wrong is what it is. One of the foremost reasons we come to church is how can I be an agent of blessing and love with the people that I'm about to meet? We should come with goals each weekend. I mean, a simple goal is to say, Lord, I'm coming to church this weekend, and my goal, I'm going to love one person fantastically and wonderfully, whether it's a very warm hug, or I'm going to go up and ask a question of interest to someone who needs to be cared for. Just the goal, I'm going to welcome a newcomer. I'm going to find someone until I find someone who's new and just bless them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to do an act of service. I'm going to serve. Whatever it is, we should come every weekend with a goal of loving. But you've got to show up the church to do that. Not neglecting to meet together. It's amazing the people who... Convince themselves, I don't need church, I'll do it by myself. Really? Really? That's not biblical. This verse blows that apart. The people who drift away from church drift away from faith, drift away from hope, and most importantly, drift away from love. Because this is where, we're not perfect, we know that, but this is where love is found and seen in the design of God for the glory of God. I need to stir up love. One of the first things, I gotta show up the church. Here's the second thing. I need to speak up, show up. Now speak up with encouragement. It says there, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. How powerful is encouragement? So people who just sit on the sidelines waiting to be loved, they don't get the blood of Christ. I'm just going to sit here until someone loves me. I'm not loving anyone. I deserve to be loved. No, it's about me today. I'm going to make this all about me, man. No one loves me. This church stinks. What, What is that? What is that? That's not Christ. Well, yeah, well, you know, I, I do. I well, if you make it about you, man, you're only destined for disappointment. It's not about us, it's about him. It's about him. The encouragement that's given. Hey, this just in, ready? This just in. Sulking is not a fruit of the Spirit. I think, I think, I think some of us need to, like, need to know that. I think we convince ourselves it is. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. 
encouraging one another. When I get the blood, I'm coming in to speak words of encouragement, to be a life of encouragement. Again, the goals that we should have as we meet together on a weekly or daily basis or bi-weekly, whatever that is, semi-weekly, coming together and encouraging one another. The expectation, I'm on a mission to show up. I'm on a mission to speak up. And then thirdly, I'm on a mission this to stir up love by speeding up because the day is coming. This isn't speeding up and, and, and shop faster and drive faster and spin yourself into chaos more. No, no. This is speed up the love because the capital D day, do you see that? And encouraging one another, verse 25, and encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Capital D day, the return of Jesus Christ. The seeker to get going, loved ones, there's no time to sleep, no time for slumber, no time for drunken stupors. No time for spiritual laziness. Wake up, look up, speed up. The capital D day is drawing near. It's time to stir up love. Question, how can you stir up love? Even before you leave this place today, how can you stir up love? Oh, no, I want to make it about myself. You don't get the blood. I don't get the blood. If I do that, I don't get the blood. But the ability to take the declaration of the blood of Jesus Christ and to see the obligation now. Because I've been washed by the blood of Jesus, the obligation, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stir up love, how beautiful that becomes. And loved ones, that's our goal right now. And I think in some ways, the last four weeks have been, has been leading to this moment right now. This moment right now, where we approach with, I pray, reverence and joy and sincerity, the Lord's Supper. Think about that now, think about that. All the theology in the blood of Jesus Christ the invitation to draw near, holding fast to our hope as we hold the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Just think about what we are doing in this moment. How beautiful this is. The, the bread, the, the cups, of course, are stacked on top of each other, so pick up two. And the body of, of Christ broken for us, given for us, and the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. The power of this moment to consider if I'm washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I draw near. I hold fast. And I'm ready to understand the love that needs to be stirred up in me through the symbols that are represented here. Let me just read again for us Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22. Just as preparation for the Lord's Supper right, right now. And I pray every heart is wanting and willing and so ready. You've been longing to do this for weeks now, I pray. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since... Here's the declaration. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, there's the Lord's Supper, blood and body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, there's the declaration. Now here's the obligation. Let us draw near. Because of what he's done, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, ready for he who promised is faithful. And this is why Paul said on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, listen, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes on that capital D day. That's what we do right now.
meaningful, powerful, reverential time that this should be before the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for washing me. I choose in this moment now, I draw near. I draw near because I get the blood. Because I'm holding the symbols of it, I draw near. As I pray, I will ask the servers to come forward uh, right now. Let's pray. Father, would our hearts be in the right position, low, worshipful, reverent right now? Would our hearts, Lord, be ready to say, nothing but the blood can put me in this place? Oh God, I pray that you would cause us to love you so much right now, to be filled with so much joy in you, oh God, to be so thankful. We who have been washed, now, Lord, we seek to do only by the blood. We draw near in this moment. We praise you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. The Lord's Supper is only for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Remember to take the stack of the cups, one on top of the other, and then we'll take together.